Welcome everybody to We're Talking. Tonight we got Jay Walker, voice of the Cajuns, here with myself, and uh, I'm Craig Malawson, avid Cajun fan, and we got Josh Jagman to my left. Josh, tell him hello for us, please. Salut, everyone. So, Jay, tell us what you've been up to now that you've left the radio station, and I know you're you're not retired, but Give us a little history of what's going on now with you. Well, I tell everybody now that I'm semi-retired because I'm not working full-time. I don't work during the summer. Uh, technically, I'm an independent contractor hired by Learfield IMG College to do uh, Cajun games. And if I'm not doing a Cajun game or a coach's show, I have the day off. Good deal. So tonight we're going to talk about the history of South Alabama Cajun baseball. Long history, storied history. Um Everything from great games to great fights to just, you know, everything that you want in a baseball team and in a rivalry. So I'm, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Where do you want to start with that? I mean, how you know, far do you want to go back? You know, it's interesting because I think people know about the brawl. Okay. It happened in 1992. Papo Ramos, John Lieber, bench is empty, punch is thrown. Um if it would happen today, I think both teams would probably get kicked out of the league or whatever. Uh, but back then, uh, when they restored order, only Papo Ramos was ejected from that game. Now, that was the first year that the two teams were in the Sun Belt. They didn't play each other during the regular season, so they scheduled a three-game series at the end of the regular season. That's when the brawl happened. In 1993 and 1994, the teams did not play each other during the regular season because the Sun Belt was split into two divisions. And let's face it, this was in the early 90s when nobody was making money on baseball. So you played everybody in your division twice, but you didn't play the other division until the conference tournament. So it was the Cajuns and UNO and Louisiana Tech and Lamar and Pan American. You, you played those teams twice. So they didn't play at all in the regular season in 93 or 94. When Tony Robichaud became the head coach, that's when they started playing during the regular season on an annual basis. Now, the first two years, the Cajuns weren't competitive. They were on probation. But starting in 1997, that is when this rivalry, I think, really kicked in. Because now the two teams were playing against each other to try to win a championship and more often than not in those early days these teams were one two in the league and so that series meant so much when the uh when the two teams got together and it um on top of that going into 1997 the cajuns had lost 17 straight games to south alabama tony was 0-7 bo had lost his last 10. So when they beat them in 2007, it was a cause for celebration because they hadn't, they hadn't, Tony had never beaten them and it had been 17 losses in a row. And I think 10 of them were by one run. It was, and, and that just added so much to it, but starting in 97 and then going all the way through 2016, there were so many years that when these teams played each other, it was for a championship or fighting for second place. But both teams, both programs were very good, and they got after each other. They didn't like each other a whole lot, although as the years went by, Steve Kitchell and Tony Robichaux not only developed a respect for each other, but they also developed a friendship. If, am I remembering correctly, though, even before the Sun Belt, 
we played them in a regional in Baton Rouge a year or two years ago. That was that was in '91, the year before the brawl. And actually, that's what set up the brawl. Cajuns are playing South Alabama in an elimination game in Baton Rouge. And you know, Popo, look, when Popo got a base hit, not only did he get a base hit, but he let you know that he got a base hit. And he let you know what he thought about the pitch that you threw him and what he thought about your mama. And, and so there was, Papa was almost larger than life. And John Lieber hit him with a pitch. Um, and Steve Kittrell, um, if I'm not mistaken, got so mad he went out and took Lieber out of the game because he realized he had hit him on purpose in an elimination game. So, <laughs> that happened in 91. Then in 92, the brawl happened. Okay, 91, if I'm remembering correctly, also that was the year there was all the rain in Baton Rouge and everything. It was coming down. I remember I was happy for the rain because I had just started uh, as an engineer and I was working on construction projects. And when the rain came, we didn't get to work. So I was able to drive to Baton Rouge to catch baseball. But of course, games were delayed because of the weather there too. So it had rained so much that water came up from the ground in the outfield at Alex, the old Alex Box yeah. Stadium. And they weren't, they weren't able to play for a while, but no, you're right. That, that was the year the weather was real bad. I just remember them kept playing Tom Petty's song, running down a dream and talking about the rain set in or something like that. And, it, and it, I just remember that song being played over and over and over. It, it's amazing, you know, oh heck, that's 30 years later now. I know. It's, wow. it's really hard to believe that 30 years have gone by and, and this, and this rivalry has continued. And it's funny because the average fan doesn't understand it. The players, they really, you know, 2016 was the last time that these teams met in a series that really, really meant something. Yeah. So, you know, these, these guys, they, you could tell them, but they never experienced it. So, so they don't know. The fans know. The longtime fans know. The fans remember. And for the fans, this is still a big deal. Well, I think even though there's a, uh, a sports hatred, which Kevin Foote likes to use, and I, which I agree with, I love sports hatred, as long as it doesn't go too far. Uh, I, I think that it's a great thing. And it, but, but I think there is... Uh, for true baseball fans, though, I think there's a certain amount of respect that the Cajun fans have for South, even though we hate them. Oh yeah, and we no, want to I punch agree. them in the face. I agree, I, and I think, I, and I think that the South Alabama fans reciprocate that. Um, but boy, there have been some, there have been some wild and crazy times, you know. And um, it wasn't until. I've got to check it. 2014, the year the Cajuns went 58 and 10, they went down to Mobile, and it's the first time they ever swept South Alabama at Stanky Field. Yes. And the Cajuns in 2000 played them six times in the regular season, won five out of the six, but the loss was at was Stanky Field on a Friday night. Scott Doman got beat in a, uh, on a night where the Cajuns just didn't hit. It, um, so the, the fact they were able to sweep a series in, in Mobile and South Alabama, I think, finished seventh that year in the yeah. league, but it didn't matter because you finally swept them. Yeah. It, um, 
and the conference tournament was there also. So we were able to go to go win that conference tournament at their home stadium. So yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah. You know, South Alabama, we went years, years without playing them in the tournament. We'd play them during the regular season, but we'd always be in different brackets. We never played each other. And then finally, um, gosh, I think it was in 2007, the teams were playing in the tournament for the first time. South, that tournament was in the Mobile. South Alabama barely made it in. They had to win in the last weekend to make it into the tournament. They were the eight seed. The Cajuns were the one seed. They played the very first night, and the Cajuns were the home team. And it was a one-to-one game in the 11th inning. And both coaches had maneuvered their lineups so much that Tony had lost the DH. And the game went into the 11th inning. The Cajuns had the bases loaded, and the pitcher's spot was up. And so all he could do was pinch hit a pitcher for a pitcher. John Zorich, who pitched for the Cajuns that year, nobody knew it, but during fall ball, he'd been, like in the inter-squad games, he'd been playing the outfield, so he at least had a little experience with a bat in his hands. So they put him up to pinch hit, first pitch, plunked him, game over. Josh, you're, I mean, you're a little younger than Jay and I by maybe a year or two. But uh, what what are your thoughts and what 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 kind of questions do you have for Jay here? Only millennial in the room, but you know, not the bad thing. But uh, no, I'm fooling my computer and listening to Jay. I'm getting an education myself. I mean, hell, my roots go back to Coach Jag, uh, you know, 30 years ago. So I've seen it a, a game or two. Um, if, was Calvi involved in the early 90s uh, South Al team? No, Calvi actually was the pitching coach at Florida International for about 10 years. Okay. And then when he left there, he went to South Carolina, won a couple national championships. And then after that is when he came to uh, Mobile. So he wasn't part of the staff uh, no. or, or he wasn't even a player. For some reason, I thought he played at South Al. No, he had he had nothing to do with South Al until he joined him in 2011. Well, that's even more interesting because I think Calvi understands the route, the rivalry just as much as anyone does. Well, he was in the league. Okay. So he knew about it yeah. because he was in the league with FIU for so long. So he was very aware of what that rivalry was about. It's just that he wasn't directly involved in it. Okay. Yeah. So again, for the podcast sake, you know, I don't think enough people understand the history from its earliest roots, like you said, the brawl is what it is. That that's that goes without saying. Everybody kind of has heard their story with that, uh, but there's been so many other great moments. 2015, the bomb, Stephens walked off. The uh, the I mean, every time that we see these guys, whether it be in the regular season, whether it be in the in the tournament, it has it's been far and few between. Uh, considering how good the teams have been. Well, that's, that's the thing that makes it so great is because so many times these t- 97, 98, 99, the, fin- the two teams finished one, two in the league in 2002, the teams finished one, two in the league in 2006, this was crazy. The Cajuns finished second, South Alabama finished third, Troy won the league that year. And South Alabama beat the Cajuns two out of three. Chad Beck blew a save in game one of that series late in the game, and we wound up losing two out of three. Then beat South Alabama to eliminate them in the conference tournament. 
So even though the Cajuns finished ahead of them and split four meetings, on Selection Monday, South Alabama got in, the Cajuns did not. So these are the little things, the little nuances that, you know, maybe even the newer generation of fan or even people that, player parents, new players that don't understand, it's the little slights like that that really keep the fire going, really make you hate a team, hate a, hate a brand, hate a school. Those are the little things that people forget or they just don't know. You remember 2003, the Cajuns started 5-20, and 20, okay? And then they got hot. And you go into the last weekend of the regular season and you're playing South Alabama, who's in first place. And if you win two out of three, you win the regular season championship. South Alabama won the first game. Second game, it's a seven to six game. It's in the bottom of the ninth inning. The Cajuns have the bases loaded and Corey Coles is up. And you may remember before the turf, you had the infield and then you had that lip and then a drop off behind third base. Corey Coles hits a ball right over the third base bag into that valley that the home plate umpire can't see. And you're using three umpires. And so the, the, the third base umpires between second and third, he can't see. And the ball lands, everybody's running. John Chef waves the winning run home. Cajun, the Teakmore field explodes, and the umpire calls it foul ball. John Chef is one of the most mild-mannered, laid-back dudes I've ever known. It took him about five seconds to get thrown out. And regardless of how much arguing that was done, the umpire made a call on a ball land that he couldn't see because it hit, it was behind that lip. Well, everybody goes back to their bases and on the next pitch, Cole sits into a double play and the game's over. South Alabama wins the league. Oh my God. Now to this day, everyone at Teakmore field says that that ball was a fair ball. The one person who, to this day, says no, it was foul. Kevin Sitko was the guy who was from Canada, played third base for South Alabama, and then he was their sports information SID for a few years. And to this very day, he, he will, will say, say, I'm telling you, it was a foul ball. Where would you, where would you put that? I mean, because that's a story... I moved away for for 20 years, basically, and then came back and, and, and you know, came back at the same time Coach Hud was here, uh, the baseball team. Uh, we, we did have the, uh, the horrible season of 2012, I believe it was, where, where ULM destroyed us at the end of the season in baseball. But, uh, you know, 2014, we had the number one team in the country in baseball. Basketball was winning beating Ron Hunter in Georgia State, uh, which is still one of the one of my one of my favorites there. You know, JD and I were talking about it today, how the uh, you know, we kind of all pull for each other. And I said, yeah, except for Georgia State. <laughs> I said I said I said I said I'm not totally against them now as much as I was because Hunter is gone, but I said that's not my favorite. But 
you know, with, with all of that being said, uh, there, there were a lot of these games. Now, I said the, the 90, 91, 92, I was still living around here. Uh, I traveled uh, uh, to, to watch baseball games and things like that. But where, that, that fair foul ball, where would you say, I mean, is that a top 10 moment in, in, the, in the series? Yeah, I, I think if you were going to go with the top 10 moments, and I'm going to take the brawl out of it. Okay, yeah. because really for me, it, it all started when, when Tony became the coach. And you were going to list the top 10 games between South Alabama and the Cajuns. That one would certainly be in the top 10. Um, I also remember in 97, the Cajuns won the regular season championship and the, the tournament was at Tidmore Field. And South Alabama beat the Cajuns and the Cajuns had to go down to the loser's bracket, win, and then they had to um, beat South Alabama twice on the final day. They won the first game to force the if necessary. And Jason Norton and Trey Poland were both pitching. I don't remember if it was two days or three days rest. And it was nothing, nothing in the bottom of the seventh inning. And South Alabama had a guy on third with two outs. And I even remember his name. Andy Suttley came up and with one strike laid down a bunt down the third baseline that he beat out the first run scored and the Cajuns just collapsed, gave up, I think six runs that inning and they lost nine to two. Um, you know, I remember that game like it was yesterday and that's 24 years ago. I also think that um, I mentioned the 06 game uh, that we had a blown save. Remember we were the first team left out of the regionals that year. What year was it? In 2006, we had that game, and there was another blown save in Little Rock, where Little Rock got eight runs in the bottom of the ninth inning off of Danny Farquhar and Chad Beck to beat the Cajuns. Those two games kept them out of a regional and kept them from winning the regular season championship. It's it's interesting that you bring up that game. I mean, not not not. I mean, obviously, it's it's, it's a moment and part of the history. But to me, that just the name Danny Farquhar there is I don't think people understand as good as some of these guys are, they're still college players and they can still make a they can they can still make a mistake. And I think we 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 put sometimes too much pressure. And that was Danny's freshman season. Okay. Um he came in in the ninth because they had a comfortable lead and then when the leads started to get away they brought in back and, and back by that time walked yeah. a guy, hit a guy, uh and then the some, somebody hit a, a, a three-run homer to tie it, and then and they wound up losing the game. 2015 and 2016, maybe two of the most satisfying years as far as the Cajuns getting a leg up on South Alabama. Because in 2015, South Alabama won the regular season. The Cajuns were third. And they made it. If you may remember, they, they played Texas, Texas State in the first game. Kyle Clement dropped a fly yeah, ball in the ninth yeah. inning. They wound up getting beat. Had to come through the loser's bracket to come back, win the bracket, and face South Alabama. Well, Cajuns had a freshman on three days rest named Gunnar Leje. And it's a 1-1 game in extra innings. And Ben, forget his last name, he wound up pitching for the Red Sox. Oh. Okay, he was, he, was, he was their closer and he was good. And, uh, you know, we get 
We get an infield hit, a walk, a hit batsman. You got the bases loaded, and, and Trosclair hits one to the opposite field for a grand slam, and the Cajuns wind up winning. Without that win, they're not in the NCAA tournament. And then what did they do? They turned around, went to Houston, and won a regional and played yeah. in a super that year. Down far in the line also. So that, and then 2016, remember I said the last time the Cajuns played over there. South Alabama had a three-game lead. It's There's one conference series after this one, okay? And it's it's the, the end of the season. They're playing Troy, playing ULM. South Alabama's got a three-game lead. They win the first game of the series. Um, it goes... It goes nine. Travis Swaggerty had a walk-off single in the ninth inning to beat the Cajuns three to two. Gunnar Lacey was not involved in the decision. The next day, they come out again. It's tied at the end of nine. The Cajuns score in the 10th. Swaggerty hits a bomb in the bottom of the 10th, but Kyle Clement hits one out in the 11th, and the Cajuns win. I actually got that ball. I had to pay a kid $20 for that ball, and I gave it to Kyle that night. They um, So, okay, they're, they're losing by three games. They're losing by four games with five to play at the end of the first night. So they went on Saturday. They went on Sunday. And so the lead now is two games. Cajun sweep ULM. Troy beat South Alabama two out of three. They tie for the championship. The Cajuns get the tiebreaker because they won two out of three. And the Cajuns go on to host a regional after winning that tournament over in uh, in San Marcos. You're not going to believe what I remember about all. I mean, I, I remember all of that because I remember you and I had just become really right. pretty much friends at that point. Yes. And, but I remember you inviting me, you and Scott Farmer inviting me. The, 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 the girls were, the softball team was playing in South Alabama. So Stevie P was there. And we went out to dinner uh, along the. Yes, uh, over uh, Bayside. Yeah. Bayside. Yeah. And, and you saw Stevie for the first time. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the most amazing thing, I mean, I think I did this, turned my head to the left and grabbed my utensils and turned back and Steve's food was gone. And I said, oh, my God. I just thought this was an urban legend. I didn't know. It was no. Urban. And Jay goes, actually true. Jay goes, I forgot exactly how he put it, but he goes, everything has come true or something to the <laughs> fact that I was hoping this would happen. Or they, uh, but no, that's true because the, the softball tournament yes. was at South Alabama that same weekend. And so we did a lot of walking back and forth. But um, that 2016, that was maybe the most gratifying of all. We wound up hosting a regional after winning that tournament. And we thought we were going to play South Alabama in the finals. And Georgia Southern upset them. And so they're in the finals. And you know, our three pitchers have all been burned and they're going to throw their number one guy, a left-hander by the name of Evan Challenger, Challenger. who was really good. Yes. And, you know, we trot this kid, Wyatt Marks, out there, who had an ERA of about four and a half, and he proceeds, you know, to throw a shutout and um, through seven innings. And uh, the Cajuns win it uh, five to nothing. And, you know, Dylan Moore got the last six outs. And um, 
that's where we really that's where I really met Danny Reed for the first time okay. uh, who does the Georgia Southern broadcast and I remember afterwards he came up and he looked at me he said I thought we were going to win yeah and I wouldn't have been surprised if they had because Challenger was really good even though he was pitching on short rest but that was up until that time the best performance of Wyatt Mark's career Challenger always pitched well against us too. Pitched well against everybody. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, was good. His career ERA in the Sun Belt was like two. Yeah, if two. But you know, he he lost that game, and then the following year, when we we're in Statesboro, uh, when we had all the rain and it was single elimination, and you know they got a hundred runs in the ninth inning to to beat us. Thanks. They twist the ninth. They're in the championship game, and they hit a three-run bomb in the ninth inning. And they're up two runs going into the bottom of the ninth. And Challenger, they bring him in in relief. He's on the mound if he gives up back-to-back bombs to tie it. And South Alabama wins it in the 10th. You know, going back, though, to 2015, uh, the tournament was in Troy. Uh, that, that was the first time that I met Gunner, our friend from Troy, and had a, uh, who's been a friend since then. And it's, it's allowed me not to hate Troy as much, which is – I'm not sure it's a good thing because, again, sports hatred to me is always good. But um, Trostler's home run, to me, the, the not only, like I said, opposite field, but because it was over that big monster there. I've, we watched uh, the video. We had the video on today before our call with JD. You know, I do just like I did with the Diamond Club. I had a video playing, and, and that was one of the shots. But. Going back to Kyle Plummer, I remember talking uh, just a few weeks ago with Kyle's parents uh, at the baseball game when we were talking about that that trip to Troy and Kyle dropping the ball and everything. And, and Kyle ended up being one of the alternative team players. Right. But, well, what most people don't remember is when he went out to get his certificate or his little trophy and everything, a couple of the players said, don't drop it. Right. So and then and and Jean was like, oh my God, if I would have heard that, I would I would have went I would have went so you know how Jean gets when she and, and she starts uh, and those those little arms going and everything. So, but the, 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 those guys, I think all of them, they had such personality with with try. I mean, I think everything. I mean, you, you see the players, and I, you don't like to compare them from year to year because each team is different, each setup is different, but. I just think that we've had I mean, that that team was uh, was just something else. The way that they gelled at that end, like you said, they lost the first game to Texas State. Ended up having to beat Texas State two more times before they even got to the championship game. Well, you know, you had seven guys from the year before who signed professional contracts. So that was with a, you know, with exception of a, a few guys, that was a brand new team. And, you know, finished third in the regular season, not bad. Uh, and then, you know, they make it to the championship game. And the fortunate thing of where the game was played, because if that game's at Teague Moore Field, that ball Trostler hits doesn't get out. It's probably caught in deep right field. Yes. But you've got a 340-foot power alley there with a 40-foot fence, and he hit it high, and it got out. Uh, and, you know... There have been some Grand Slam home runs in Cajun history. I don't know that there's ever been one bigger than that. Oh my well, word, Jay! Yes, indeed. I, I think, uh, yeah, we were talking. We talked about Jeff Snyder earlier uh, with JD, so that was interesting there too. 
but the oh my i wish that we could find a recording of that we might have to i'm pretty sure i have a clip okay uh when i'm feeling down all right let me let me ask you this yeah you know we all talk about 2013 and 2014 when matt deggs became an assistant coach and and this we know what happened in 2014 in 2013 where did the cajuns finish in the regular season in the league yeah uh i i fourth maybe a third i was gonna say fifth third they they finished third behind troy and south alabama tied for the conference championship the cajuns were a couple of games back and the cajuns wound up beating south alabama twice in the 2013 tournament which was at tigmore field and it wound up just getting hammered by florida atlantic in the championship game which had gotten delayed yep. today because of rain and stuff they got beat by I don't know, 13 to 4 or whatever it was yeah. but four teams from the sunbelt made it to the tournament that year. Troy, South Alabama, the Cajuns, and FAU all went to regionals in 2013. Was that the year FAU just hit the daylights out of the ball? They had like eight starters hitting for 300. They, they had a really, really good hitting club, but they only finished fourth in the regular season. Yeah, I remember. Well, I didn't follow them during the regular season, but I remember them in the tournament because I stayed and watched everything. Sure. But uh, I know this is South Alabama pod, but. Everybody talks about 2014. Of course, it was magic. I mean, you can't even – it was so incredible that it's it's kind of like Twilight Zone. Some of it I don't even remember. 2015 was so gratifying and satisfying because they they struggled to find their footing. You know, the, a lot of people had to overcome several hurdles. We had to get the rotation set. And, you know, obviously having uber-talented pitchers was, made it a whole lot easier, but – Offense was kind of up and down and Jekyll and Hyde here and there. But you said that about the pitchers, though. But what I remember about the pitchers is that they did not. I mean, I, I think Chris Sharpenjay was was the, uh, the the our, our Friday night guy the first night. Nothing against Chris, but he he's not Gunnar Leje. And it wasn't until right five weeks into the season that I think Gunnar even moved to right. I mean, but obviously there was some talent there. With the talent was with, definitely there. They just had to find out where everybody fit, and uh, you know, obviously Gunnar was a revelation, but. Uh, the end of that season, I'm talking maybe, I don't know, just say three quarters of the way and, and into the regional. That was just one of the funnest teams to ever follow. They just overcame so much, and it was just fun to watch everybody mature. And like guys like Greg Davis, right? I mean, he got the biggest hit in that regional. I mean, that was the – when we played Rice, we came back, back to beat Rice, right, to win the regional. Uh, what's it? No, the um... – Wait a minute. In 2015, yeah, yeah. they uh, we were down big. Yeah, yeah. I remember they had, they had like 22 hit. innings yeah. with Houston at the limit. Right. Yeah. I always think of Houston too because it's like every time you turn on the television, that's what you're watching. Well, you know, the Houston had the guy that was supposed to be the like the top number one draft choice in the draft that year. That freshman guy. Yeah, yeah. And who and it ended up being a basket case. I don't know Seth. if he, but Seth. Romero. Romero. But I, I remember us staying up. Uh, Imagine this drinking and watching the game at the Hyatt going in 22. And, and, and when we got to the ballpark the next day for the, for the game against Rice, I mean, you could just sit there and look in their dugout. Those guys were on the yeah, bench. None of them, they were done. They were done. We, we had beat them before they even got on the field. Yeah. But let, let, uh, we, we talked about South Alabama. We talked about Troy a little bit. And I know this is about the history of South Alabama. But at the same time, one thing I want to mention, which you brought up earlier before we started this, was you know the tournament being Montgomery and the uh, 
in in the format, which I don't need to get into right now. I'm hoping you'll come and sit with us again and we can talk more about the format coming up. But the one thing that I've, uh, since we knew the, the, the tournament was going to be in Montgomery three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was, I had started doing some research. And it's actually, if you take everybody's driving distance to all of the locations of the Sunbelt teams, Montgomery is really the central part. You know, you're, you're going to have, no matter where you go, Texas State is going to have to drive forever unless we're playing at UTA. And no offense to UTA, but their ballpark is not going to host right. a Sunbelt Conference tournament. So your next closest place is the Cajuns. So, and the same thing for App State and Coastal. Everybody's traveling. This allows, I think, everybody to do that. But the thing that really gets to me is, you know, that we've only won one Sunbelt Conference tournament at Teagmore Field, Brusso Park. The other ones, uh, I think, uh, at, we won at Texas State. And I think we have four of them between Troy and South Alabama and the state of Well, we've won four Sunbelt Conference tournaments. Okay. Okay. So 98 and Mobile. Okay. 2014 Mobile and Mobile, 2015 in Troy, 2016 in San Marcos. Okay, never won a tournament. So that okay, I hadn't looked. I I, no, I hadn't looked. I mean, but that was kind of my point is that out of the four we've won, three of them been in the state of Alabama. So to me, that tells me I'm not superstitious, but I'm super. I'm not going to take the chance. You know, I the Cajuns played in the finals. I think three times at Tigmore Field. Yes. Um, but you know, all I know is this, it It was time for the conference tournament to move to a neutral site. It was just time. I agree. Now there's some folks, Oh, what about Pensacola? Well, you know, Pensacola couldn't clear some dates. That would have been nice. Uh, and then, you know, that they moved the conference USA tournament to, um, to Ruston. And so, you know, what about Biloxi? Well, it was too late. Well, you know, I look at those two venues of, you know, those two places are great for the fans because when your team's not playing, you're at the beach. Okay, I get that. But you're going to play in a nice double-A ballpark. That's within walking distance of everything you need to do in Montgomery. If you're staying downtown in one of those couple, three hotels they have in the downtown area, and they're big hotels, so you should, you walk to the ballpark, you walk to dinner, you walk to the bars, you can park your car, and you don't ever have to get in it until you're ready to come home. It is a great venue, and I agree with you. It's about as close to a central location as you're going to find. And I remember when they were talking about moving the tournament to a neutral location, talking about basketball and baseball. The town that kept getting mentioned was Huntsville, Alabama which is about an hour north of Montgomery. So, so yeah, and they liked it because it was centrally located for the rest of the league. So it, 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 I don't know that you can have a better location than Montgomery. Well, you and I both know from our trips for football games that we stayed in Montgomery when we played Troy. It's beautiful. Like you said, you're able to walk to the restaurant. Great barbecue if you like barbecue. No offense to Lafayette. I love my Cajun food, but I can't get good barbecue in Lafayette. If there's a place, somebody let me know. Oh, well, I, I, I got a place. Okay. Oh, yes. Mid-City, yes. Shout out yeah. to my buddy, Ryan. Yes, Ryan. Is pretty good. I, I like Mid-City a lot. Yes, yes I, I'm sorry. And uh, he's, he's improving all the time. He's got a, a great patio back there. And it's, uh, 
but it's a pretty badass place to watch a game. To your point, the, the only thing I'm disappointed in is their uh, their quality of their liquor stores, and it's hard to find good bourbon there. So, but that, that's just that's just a me thing, and and, and I know you're going to be so totally shocked on this, but I might have a few bottles of bourbon that I can bring that I don't really? that I don't have to go to the liquor store and buy. Wow, But the problem is, is that people like yourself and Brad Topin tend to drink my my liquor a little faster than I do. Being the mature individual I am, gosh. I, oh, gosh. I, I tend to pace myself a little bit more uh -huh. than, than the rest of you. Stuff, man. That's all you do. But uh, the, the other thing, though, I, in my opinion, I, I understand what people are saying about the beach and everything, whether it's Biloxi, Pensacola, or Mobile and all of those. But at the same time, I think, in my personal opinion, I don't know this. I haven't looked at weather patterns or anything like that. But I think being away from the coast gives you an, an opportunity to miss some of those afternoon showers or those full days of rain yeah in my opinion yeah i i you know now look we've seen uh rain wreak havoc in hoover okay yeah. for the southeastern conference tournament which is going to be played at the same time but i do agree that it's less likely to get interfered with in montgomery than it would be if you were playing right on the coast and, and let's face it uh as we know it's no different here in lafayette because we're, we're essentially we're not that far from the coast the heat and humidity that time of year can be could be can be horrible, and I'm hopefully again a few hours in, inland, uh, it's going to be a, a couple of degrees cooler and, and, and better for us. Well, I'm not I, counting I, on uh, it, but yeah, I'm not counting. I'm not counting on it either. But, but uh, again, that's what ice chests are for. I mean, you, you know, a good sarsaparilla or a, a diet coke. You know. Well, I I and I know this um, the way the the tournament is structured and look you know you know what baseball fans do baseball fans that go up monday and they come home on sunday and it doesn't matter if their team is still in it no okay and so i'm planning to go up monday come back on sunday and there are days off mixed in there regardless of what team you're you're rooting for to where you can have a day at the ballpark where you just go sit down the, the the first baseline and you know have a have a have a cold one and and, and watch baseball have a cold sixth and, and watch baseball. Well, I was gonna say that's the nice part about it too. It goes back to that we're just walking up the road. I mean, it's literally a couple hundred yards to the hotels. That's it. And uh, you might even be able to find your way back. Exactly. <laughs> and and unfortunately, right now we don't know what hotel the Cajuns will be. Uh, yeah, you they assigned according to your seat. Exactly, your your seat will will determine which hotel you're in and, and where you're staying and everything. So we won't know until the season's over. But I would encourage those fans to make a reservation because all of the hotels in the downtown area, again, walking distance to restaurants, walking distance to the ballpark, and they're all we we've been into two or three of them just. Uh, having dinner or something and, and and they've all been very nice and, and and worth worth the time that's very interesting your seed determines where so if you're a one seed you stay at the marriott if you're an eight seed you stay at the motel six no i you know actually the two big hotels around the ballpark are the renaissance which is a marriott property uh -huh. and an embassy suites which is a hilton property and uh, I think what they're going to do is they're going to try to separate the teams that are going to play each other as much as they can. Okay. Yeah. Not, not so, so much, much as, as uh, 
the number one seed gets, you know, hey, you get the penthouse suite. Yeah. This is where I'm going with it. Coach Dag's here. Here you go. You know, you guys have to bunk up four at a time and a yeah. six. Uh, you should have played better ball, baseball over the season. Look, this is this is another podcast, but we but I could tell you the story of the football trip we made when we had to stay at that other hotel in Montgomery that had like bullet holes in the rooms. Oh, they're definitely an eight seed hotel. Okay, so but um, there was one other thing I, I, I I'm excited about Montgomery. I'm excited about the South Alabama series. Um, I, I don't know how much you looked at the weather. I know you sent us, and, and it's been announced also that it's moving from a Friday, Saturday, Sunday to uh, a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, which uh, if there's been one good thing that's come out of COVID is that because the guys are traveling, they're, they're, most of their classes are online, we've been able to move some of these where we would not have moved games in the past to a Monday to be able to get them in. And I think, I think the league is doing a really good thing here by doing what they can to get these three games in. Yeah. Well, they know, and they knew going in that there was a possibility that a whole series could get canceled because of COVID. And one has the Appalachian state coastal Carolina series hasn't gotten played, probably won't get played. And it was because of a COVID situation. Coastal pollution. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going there. But they, but the, um, but I, but I agree. I think, I think the league has done a good job of trying to ensure you get as many games in as you can. And if by some chance you can't play on Saturday, because remember it's a natural yep. surface over there, and they have gotten a lot of rain, and they're going to get some more. Then you can play two Saturday, I'd rather two Sunday, one Monday, and still get all three of them in despite two days of rain. Yep. So I think I think it's great that it's working out this way. I I, I I agree with you totally, and I hope it's a thing that they that that trends for the future for us. I think so I, I would be it, totally okay with it. It yeah. also proves that you don't need turf, folks, to play baseball. Ah, we're not going to go there right now. That's for a whole other issue. We had that little bit of that conversation with JD today, but. Um, you, uh, I think natural grass surfaces are great if you got a grounds crew to take care of it. No, no most mid majors don't, and I understand all of the practicality behind it. Um, just as a baseball fan, I, I, I'm the same way with it with the aluminum bat, yeah. But uh, I think it, I, I've learned that both of them are a necessity, especially where we live right now. And, and Tony, Tony talked about a lot about that uh, to the Diamond Club, talking about how, you know, we're fine during the baseball season keeping up with everything. But what about that recruit that stops in September and your your outfield is full of daisies and, and clover? That doesn't look good. We're, we're not we're not an SEC program that can afford a full time ground crew that does nothing for. We just need to get Bab a zero turn. Yeah, it's it's all mine. I was a I was a guest on JD Byers show this morning and I and I and I brought this up and, and I think it bears we talk about South Alabama and sports hate. And there was nobody that you loved to hate more than Steve Kitchell. Little dude would do anything to fire his team up. And and I remember in, in 98, we're over there. They're in the third base dugout and Justin Hemi hits a home run 
and he rounds second base and he's headed to third base. And of course their dugout is right there. And Hemi rounds third and he's going home and Kittrell starts going, did you see that? He stared into our dugout. Now I have no idea whether he stared into the dugout or not, but Steve Kittrell decided that he did. And sure enough, they got all fired up. They come back and win the game. Steve Kitchell off the field was about as mild-mannered a human being as you're ever going to meet. And I would talk to him. You know, he might have gotten thrown out the day before or maybe the week before. And you mention it to him and he said his, his reply was always the same. I don't know why they threw me out. I never used profanity, <laughs> which was true. Steve didn't cuss. In fact, Steve was like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even allow PG-13 movies on the bus. I mean, he was, he was a pretty straight arrow. The relationship between Steve and Tony started as one of a rivalry. It became one of respect, and then it became a friendship. And I remember Ike Gustav, I don't remember which one, but there was a hurricane coming through and Tony had some guys that couldn't make it home. And Steve took Colleen and Tony into his home. They spent the weekend there. The players, he put them up in the clubhouse, made sure they had food, made sure they had all of that because that's what people do. And at the visitation after Tony passed on that Sunday, this little gray-haired dude walks up to me, and when he got about 10 feet from me, I realized who it was, and he came and he said, Jay, my name is Steve Kittrell. I used to be the baseball coach <laughs> in South Alabama. And, and, but that's who he was. He was a humble guy. And I... And I said, and, and the emotion came out in my voice. And I said, coach, I didn't know who was going to be here, but I knew you were going to be here. And he just started talking about how much he cared for Tony and how much he enjoyed the competition. But that, you know, when he retired in 2011, most of the, when they played on the road, most of the um, said, well, the last game, the teams are shaking hands. We want to, Gradually, Steve Kitchell on his upcoming retirement. People applaud. Did they do that at Teague Field? No. What did they do? They presented him with a brand new rod and reel because he was finally going to have time to fish, which oh, is yeah, what he yeah. loved to do in his in his spare time. I remember that. No, and so Bab good. and Bab and Tony called um, the one of the assistant coaches and said, "Tell us what we need to get." Neither one of us do much fishing and we want to get this right. And so they told, okay, this is what you want to get them. Well, they presented it and, and the teams, uh, the, the coaches had met at home plate and they're walking back to the dugout. Well, they, Tony walks back to the dugout. He gets the rod reel. He's starting, uh, and, and Nick Domingue, the public address announcer says, we'd like for coach Kitchell to come back to home plate. And of course, Kitchell walks and he doesn't. And then he sees them with the rod and reel and, they presented it to him at home plate and you could tell how moved coach Kittrell was. And wasn't it fitting that the team that he hated the most because sports hate is good is the team that decided to honor him the most when it was time for him to retire. 
I think that more than anything else showed the other side of the Louisiana South Alabama baseball rivalry. Well, I think it goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning. Sports hatred is good, but there's also a certain amount of respect there. Sure. That uh, I, where I don't think there might be another team that's in the state of Georgia that we don't respect as much for a certain reason. You know, I, I, <laughs> even though I brought their name up twice already. I remember going to Eddie Stanky Field. Um, geez, it might have been in 2016, or, or maybe it was in 2014. I don't remember which. But they had retired Steve Kitchell's number, and the number three was was out there on the on the wall. And I finished doing my pregame interview with Tony, and I said, um, "said I need to go pay my respects." And I walked all the way out to the right field wall where his number was, and I just tipped my cap, and then came back and and uh, and walked off. And I'm happy to report I didn't get hit with a line drive. <laughs> Well, before we wrap up, and we appreciate your time, I'm going on just about an hour here, uh, which which uh, which is always fun. And I know that we could sit and, and talk and tell stories all night, but I know we talked about Montgomery, and, and I think the one thing that's going to be very nice about it, it, it is a minor league ballpark. So we don't have the restrictions like we had when we were at Coastal Carolina. And having only allowed to buy two beers during a baseball game. And you know what that's about. It's the most important thing for us because if we're going to sit and have an adult beverage you know, or three, you know, it, it, it was a four hour game. It was, and it was a real shame because going out into the center field area oh. and sitting on those Adirondack chairs and watching the game, if you could have had a limitless supply of yeah. beer. Oh my, my well, gosh, you gotta well, stay out I, I, I might have missed our next game. I, I might have still been out there. We, I mean, it, it, it's it's a beautiful stadium. The the uh, atmosphere is okay. It's the, it's an ambiance. There is. is. The, the place feels like yes. a beach. It just does. And 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 the Adirondack chairs are the high top Adirondack chairs that you would sit like bar height. Yeah. And you, and you're able to sit out there in center field and 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 drink your beer and. But the problem is there's only two spots you can buy beer. So by the time you walk, you get your beer, and then you go back out there and sit down. You already drank your beer. Yeah. So you sat out down there. And then and so you want to go get another one, but they're only sell you two. So you got to pace yourself there. So I think not that it's the most important thing, but it is a reason, another reason that to enjoy Montgomery. Do you remember the days when Teague Moorefield was the only place in the Sun Belt that sold beer? Yes. And our fans would go, what do you mean you don't sell beer here? Yeah. I mean, the, our fans would get so indignant because it was many years that we sold beer at Teague Moore that nobody else in the league did. And then I think UNO was the first one to, to go ahead and start. And then one by one, everybody else did too. And now it's, it's kind of an expected thing. Except that the NCAA tournament, where I think now you can buy beer and wine, but I, you didn't used to be able right. to. And you'd go, you'd go all around the Sun Belt, and beer and baseball. Then you get to the NCAA tournament, you couldn't buy beer. It was crazy. You know, we, we at some point we're going to have to do one a podcast and get Nick Domain on and talk about the history of Teague Field. I mean, I know Nick doesn't go back to 70, 72, but Nick uh, totally did. But, but talking about some of those things, and uh, when I first started working with the Diamond Club, Coach Robichaux asked me, he said, well, Craig, how did you get involved with Cajun baseball? And I kind of chuckled, and I said, well, I said, Coach, don't hold this against me. I said, well, I said, first, I'm a baseball guy. 
always been a baseball guy first. I said, second, I said, uh, I said, honestly, I said, Coach Kelly came to our fraternity house and said, guys, I can't tell you you can bring beer into the stadium. I can tell you they won't stop you. <laughs> so we would bring our ice chest in and you would open it up as long as you didn't have Coke or water. You were allowed to go in. We brought crawfish in for years also until there was a bad call at third and all of a sudden crawfish fields <laughs> went on the field. We were no longer allowed to bring crawfish in after that. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things. I think the uniqueness of, of, of Cajun baseball and the history. And I said, I think we could go, we could go on forever to talk about, about those things. And we should uh, do a, like a totally separate subset of those uh, maybe call it like origins or something and start talking about like the cornerstone education baseball. I think that'd be cool. I, I think it's I think it's definitely good. And it's one of the things that, that I regret not being able to be. I had started a uh, my top 10 favorite things about Russo Park, Timor Field. And uh, I, I had to stop for various reasons. I couldn't keep up with everything. But there are a couple of them that I wish I, I, I kind of know a little bit about. And most of those were where were Coach Rowe was at a minor league baseball park. And he. And he brought those traditions. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm not sure where the graduation came from. I think it it makes sense. But I know Mother's Day, he was at a minor league baseball park for Mother's Day or something, or or I'd read about it, and, and the players were thrown out. So he started that tradition here. So it's it's great. It's a wonderful thing. I, I, I go ahead, Jim. Senior day this year, graduation day this year. Yeah. Look, first of all, from the first time they ever did it. I mean, un until they started graduating players at home plate, outside of your own graduation, have you ever seen, have you ever, ever seen student athletes graduate? No. I never had. No. And it never ceases to get me. For sure. When they walk, when the president walks out there and he's, you know, he's got his full regalia on and then the, the, the dean of this college is there some for some of them it's the first time they've ever been in the baseball yeah. stadium and then they and afterwards they go oh this was so cool um but but watching the and the moms and dads and how proud they are that gets me every year and this year there's going to be somewhere between 10 and 15 yeah. diplomas that are going to be handed out a couple of them are going to be master's degrees that are going to be uh at uh, when we play troy on the final day uh, of the regular season on that Saturday, it's really going to be a big deal this year. Well, I, I will, I won't tell you where it is in my top 10, but it is definitely in the top 10. It's definitely in the top five. Uh, uh, I, I think I need, it's time to start that countdown again. I, I, I started getting in with some of it with some, some worthless trivia, but in, in Nick domain was very, uh, very helpful with, 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 with green onions and several of the other items there. So I, I need to thank Nick. It, um, it makes too much sense, though. I mean, you spend you spend three or four months a year, three or four years getting to know these guys, and to this point in their young lives, this is the biggest accomplishment. So you've been pulling for them and rooting for them all this time. Why not do it in front of us, right? I mean, they've got to get – they have to have a mixed pride and to be able to do it in front of guys that have been pulling for them. You know what I thought was so cool? It was – a good, oh, it was more than a decade after he finished playing at UL. Corey Coles went back to school, got his degree, and walked at home plate. He's 30 years old, okay? 
and he walked at home plate to get his degree right there at the ballpark. That's one of the greatest of all of the graduations that I remember. Well, guys, unless we've got something else about South Alabama, we're going right on an hour, which I think is is a good time frame for people to listen. Uh, I do have one last thing. Go ahead. One and a half last things. I'm going to ask you what you think about this weekend coming up. Yeah. But before we do that, I want to know how pissed you were when Lynch flipped that bat at dirt. (laughs) There's no way that my voice did not come through that microphone because I was the loudest by, by, you know, it's funny because that call made it onto social media. I saw that. And, and I got, I got hammered pretty good by some Southern Miss fans. Really? Yes. Well, because, you know, their player had gotten hit in the head a pitch before and they of course they thought they thought it was by a weak curveball they thought no no actually it was a fastball yeah but we think you went after but that's not the point the point was is that the atmosphere was charged it was a few different things had occurred to lead up to the moment and when he threw the bat no when he flipped the bat and then it took him longer to round the bases than it did bartolo cologne bartolo (laughs) hit his home run and 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 that's when that's what I reacted to. It was the slow trot around the bases, yeah. and I made the comment. I said, you know, now I'm not going to say that they're going to throw at this that they threw at the last guy, but this guy better watch out. And and I honestly expected some retaliation before the weekend was over. With the problem was Sunday's game, which is when you're going to do it. Right. Okay, right. Sunday's game was such tight. a tight game that you really didn't have an opportunity to do it. Um, you know, I was, look, I'm, I'm I, you reacted. There, you know, look, there are going to be some people that listen to say, I can't believe that you say that they, they should have thrown and hit that guy. No, they should have thrown and hit that guy. No doubt about you know, Matt Degg said it himself. Baseball at least used to police itself. Right. You know, let me tell you something. How many times did Bob Gibson throw 90 miles an hour at somebody's butt just to send a message. Right. All right. And well, there's no place for that college baseball. Baseball's baseball. Yeah. Now I don't think you ought to be charging the mountain little league, okay? Right. But no, I mean there's there's <laughs> there's some there's some unwritten rules in baseball. And one is if you show up the other team, you're gonna wear one the next time up. Yeah. And I expected it to happen. I was disappointed that it didn't. I don't think that they would have gone out to try to hurt the guy. But you know, look. Not long ago, about three weeks ago, I'm, um, I just finished interviewing Coach Eggs and I'm leaving. And I hear, look out, and then I feel something hit me in the left kidney. And it was a line drive during batting practice that got me. Okay, exit velocity is probably over 100 miles an hour. I felt the thud, and about a second and a half later, I felt the pain. And I'm just here to tell you, 90 miles an hour on the thigh is going to leave a mark. Yeah. I'm just here to tell you that. Now, mine stayed for, it was about the size of, uh, I don't know, I don't know what that is, but it's, it lasted, <laughs> volleyball. lasted about two weeks. Yeah. Um, but it, it's baseball. 
it, it's it's the way it's the way it goes. Couldn't agree more. I felt like the sucker punches, and then they showed us up, and we didn't do a damn thing about it. And well, was, and 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 we, and we would have, but but it you couldn't do it on Sunday. Right. You just couldn't. Now, as far as this weekend is concerned, you're going to see the two best pitching staffs in the Sun Belt Conference. Right. Go at it. If you look, you know what South Alabama is hitting as a team? About oh, 220. Oh, 220. About 220. Dead last in the Sun Belt in hitting. Right. They play great defense. They do. But here's the other thing. When they get guys on, they score. They get guys in. You know, they um they lost to Little Rock 9-8, had six hits in that game. Uh how many you go through their box score, how many times that they had six runs on seven hits? Four runs on five hits, you know, eight runs on nine hits. You don't have games where you've got three runs and nine hits or four runs and 11 hits. They don't do that. When they get hits, they find a way to get them in. They bunt more than anybody else. They're going, and they don't strike out a ton. They are going to try to put the ball in play, wait for you to make a mistake, take advantage. They play great defense. Now, their three starting pitchers match up with the Cajuns' three starting pitchers. The bullpens, I think, match up pretty well. The Cajuns have a better hitting club, but the Cajuns are going to have to play some clean baseball this weekend. Yeah, the, the, yeah I, I, the Cajuns are, are nine and two in their in their in their last eleven games, um, and are batting uh, I think three oh nine in the last eleven games. But the thing that got me was that if you look at South Alabama in their last 11 games, they're batting 174, but yet their record is 7-4. Now, I can understand 4-7, and seven, but 7-4 seven and four was a little bit of a shock to me there. They can pitch. Yeah. Well, and, and, and they have a pitching staff. All three guys that are going to start all have more than one strikeout per inning. Yes. Their Friday night guy does not walk people. As a matter of fact, I think in his first 21 innings this year, he had no walks. Well, Jay, their whip, their whip is number 22 in the country at 1.23. Remember that correctly? Cajuns are up there 62 in the country at 1.36, which is great. And if you pair that with a good defense, uh, their fielding percentage is 974. So yeah, it's 992 in conference play. That's, that's outstanding. And, and and that's where we we talked about this morning is that you know the Cajuns are, are we're not going to be able to walk guys because again. Uh, if, if they get on base, they're, they're going to steal some bases. They're going to do what they need to do to score runs. We're, we're not going to be able to get, get, give them the free passes like, like we have been. Sunday, what did we give up, 16 free base runners? Was it something like that? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, well, it was 16 counting the two errors. Yeah, it was nine, nine walks, five hit batsmen, and two errors. Uh, that's going to be a football score if yeah. they do that. So. I, I think it comes down to Cajun's not striking out. And, and playing good defense. I really think that that's what it They're going to have to play better defense um, than what they have played in some games this year. And remember, you're playing on a natural surface, which you, which you don't play a lot of games on. You get bad hops, you yep. get this, you get that. Uh, but they're going to have to overcome that. They're going to have to put the ball in play. And they're going to have to do something that they've not been very good at this year, and that's get two out hits with men in scoring position. They have been not very good at all in that regard. When you've got opportunities to score against the South Alabama team, you've got to make sure you get them. Okay, that's a good point. Temple's been – he's been a workhorse in the leadoff role. 
Do you move him to a three, four, five spot? No. To drive because, no, no, because he leaves the team and walks. Okay. Get on base. That's you know, and 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 honestly, when we start talking about hitting with Ben in scoring position, his batting average might be the lowest on the team. Yeah. And but he's he's got more two out hit or two well, strike hits. He's gotten some two strike hits. Yeah. But he finally got the, when he got that double up uh, up the gap. That's that bat I've seen this season. Best at bat I've seen this season too, and it was a rare. Yeah, I think Men in the, scoring position with two outs. It's not something I think it was one for 13. Now, it's done something. He's done. He's starting to do that a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think I, I think you keep him in the leadoff spot because he's he's going to draw walks. He's going to work counts. He's going to make pitchers pitch and he's going to fight pitches off. Now he leads the team in strikeouts, but that's OK. That's OK. I think he had a little bit of a different role earlier in the season. Too. Yeah, he, he has struck it. He's been striking out a lot less. All I can tell you is I know Coach Deggs likes him in the leadoff spot. So yeah, no doubt. That's I mean, we can discuss it all we want, but it, it ain't changing. I'll tell you, I like T. Rob in the three hole. Yeah, I do too. I, I like T. Rob in the three hole bunch at the beginning of the season. But hey, you got to figure it out, right? I mean, it's a work in progress. Still is. Well, I, I think the goal is is always to continue to to win series and conference and to keep rolling and and to hit 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 the conference tournament, playing your Dude, best ball. The next six are going to tell us whether we're going to win the West or not. Yeah. You know, Little Rock has been almost unbeaten at home, unbeatable at home this year. They've been road is kill. a lot better than people think. Well, they, we they, talked about that this morning. They, they, they swept South Al, uh, and then South Al sweeps Troy. It's like. Well, they sweep South Al, and then they lose three to Arkansas State yeah. and Jonesboro. And they've got, I think, Oh gosh, I want to say 13 of their next 17 on the road, but three of those games are at home against us. Yeah. And and so you win this series, get two out of three this weekend, get two out of three next weekend. If you do that, I think you're in pretty good shape the rest of the way. And I and, and two out of three is is I, I think what well, you have Meatloaf to do. said it was yeah. good. Yes. Okay. Well, well he said it wasn't bad. It's even better when you're on the road. Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you want because of the RPI, you want to win at home all the time because of the way that it's weighted. But two out of three on the road, uh, meatloaf, it's pretty damn good. The only time that you ever saw Tony upset about winning two out of three on the road is if you won on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And then and then you'd lose on Sunday and then he'd be mad all the way home. But if you won, if you won two out of three on the road uh, as a rule, he was very, very happy with that. And I think if the Cajuns win four out of six here, I think they're in pretty good shape. I agree. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Let's wrap this up. Uh, hopefully, uh, the next time we see you, Jay, it's going to be talking bourbon, talking some whiskey. Let's, let's, let's roll something a little different. Let's roll the dice and, and have an adult beverage or two. Even though I, I, I was about to say, if we're going to talk bourbon, it means we have to drink while we're talking. Well, oh, yes. I mean, that, I mean that's it. So... And that's why we, we named trouble the last time I did that. Yeah, that's why we named the podcast We're Talking, because it doesn't matter. We're just talking. We're just talking. Thanks for so, having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Josh, for coming over and, and organizing this. Uh, everybody that's listening to the podcast, don't forget to uh, follow us on Twitter. It's uh, We Are Talking To, T-O-O. So uh, if you're so inclined, please do. And we'll start sending out links to everything. 
We're already on Spotify too. Spotify, Spotify and uh, Anchor FM. So we're rolling along. And we won't. And look, it took forty-eight hours, and we got this thing rolling. So it's a major work in progress, but it's already out there. So. All right. Thank you, and love the feedback. Talk to everyone later. Have a good night.